A word from our sponsor, Von Seger Designs is a small Nebraska custom woodworking business making hand-burned customized wood pieces to be a statement in any room. Working with clients every step of the way, from hand-selecting the wood to customizing the design Von Segrin Designs, makes the process as smooth as possible. Specializing in items from themed bar carts and tables to cutting boards and signs so that you can show your team pride all year round. Show your Husker support in a unique and functional way. When you work with Von Segrin Designs, you support small businesses throughout the region. Allow Von Segrin Design to create a custom, fresh, hand-burned piece wood for your home or business. You can link up with them at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-D-N-E-S-I-1 and at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-N underscore designs. So check them out on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram as well. Uh, go Big Red, and uh, let's start the podcast. to throw down toward the goal line going up ball tipped in the air touchdown Jordan Westerkamp Nebraska wins the game on the final play of the contest oh baby far side back to throw is Martinez now being chased throws it out a flat Burkhead makes a catch sets a tackle 25-20 Rex Burkhead touchdown Nebraska going on everybody thanks for joining me here on the uh church of the corn presents it's saturday morning service we got a loaded show today with a lot going on in college football from jim harbaugh jumping to the nfl possibly to getting into a pissing match with the ncaa to sam hartman and notre dame and tampering and my thoughts on that Bobby Petrino to Texas A&M, and that being the most hated coaching staff in the country with Petrino, Fisher, and DJ Durkin. And then uh, planning on finishing up with TCU in Georgia, my breakdown of the uh, college football national championship this year, and uh, kind of what to expect in that game, and just some things to think about, and Hopefully, long live the hypnotoad and the chaos that will come with that. But yeah, let's uh, let's jump into uh, Jim Harbaugh real quick in the NFL. So here's how I'm going to do this, just so we're aware. I'm going to give both sides of the story why he should go, why he shouldn't go, because I think Jim Harbaugh is in a tough situation right now, where what he's got going at Michigan is a great thing. Um, most schools would uh, kill for what Jim Harbaugh has given them the last couple of years, especially with beating rivals and different things like that. But the NFL, 
is a very alluring call. Um, what the NFL can offer a coach as opposed to college is, is completely different, obviously. But let's uh, let's go ahead and get into it. So here's where I'm at with Jim Harbaugh getting to the NFL. These, this is going to be why I think he should stick around in Michigan. So you got to think about it like this. Right now, he has the potential to build a superpower in in college football, especially in the Big Ten with with the expansion that's going to be going on with with USC and UCLA being added to the um, the conference as well, going away from you know um, divisions. Harbaugh has set himself up with the way that that team is constructed to run the Big Ten. Um, you know his record the last two years at Michigan is twenty five and three. That is a phenomenal record. And he's also beat Ohio State two years in a row. I remember everybody wanted Jim Harbaugh gone because of the fact he could not beat Ohio State. We've done it two years in a row, and this year was a pretty convincing victory with a quarterback that wasn't a starter at the beginning of the year. Now, granted, J.J. McCarthy is an absolute stud at quarterback. Um, And that's without Blake Corum as well, who has, leading up to it before the injury, Blake Corum was my Heisman candidate. With what he was able to do all year long, it, it teams that were playing Michigan, it was a buzzsaw. And even when you tried to shut down that run game, that offensive line for Michigan was absolutely incredible. Um, I know the center, uh, I will butcher his name, but the center was a transfer from Virginia. Um, one of the best transfer portal players that, that, you know, started for another team this this last year. Absolute stud. But like I said, you know, with, with Michigan beating Ohio State two years in a row, now you've got people questioning if Ryan Day is the guy in Columbus. That That's a crazy thing. Now, I'm not saying all Ohio State fans are, and I'm not saying all of college football is, but you've got some people now that are starting to whisper, is Ryan Day the guy in Ohio State? Can he do it? I mean, Ryan Day is a is a pretty damn good coach. I I, I wouldn't go that far, but there there are people that are wondering: Is Ryan Day the guy that can beat Jim Harbaugh? Which I never thought we would hear. And in, in, <laughs> while Harbaugh was at Michigan and Ryan Day was at Ohio State, but making the playoffs two times in two years while playing Georgia and TCU. Now, granted, they're both losses. But only four teams get to the playoffs every year. So being able to say that we were one of those teams two years in a row is damn impressive. You know, this team is built to win the Big Ten year after year with just how they're constructed with the big offensive line. Um, It's like Matt Matt Rule has said, we're going to go body blows. And that's what Michigan is, is they are going to run the ball. They are going to take out your will to want to play the game. And then they can go vertically down the field, which you've seen them do multiple times against TCU. TCU with a very um, athletic defense. You've seen Michigan's ability. Now, granted, they don't have a number one receiver out there, but they've got a lot of fast guys that can get down the field, which you've seen when they matched up their um, the wide receiver, I believe it was Ronnie Bell, quite a bit in the slot who was going against the safety. Basically, if they were able to get away from those two outside corners, 
they were able to pretty much do what they wanted in the passing game. You, usually it's a mismatch anyway. That'd be like you your, your safeties usually run a 4-5, 4-6 corner, anywhere from a 4-2 to a 4-4 for a Division One athlete. So the, the mismatch with Ronnie Bell, who also runs a 4-3 so, uh, or so, on a safety, you've seen what was going to happen. And Michigan picked on that play after play when they could. So, you know, great job by them. But going back to how they're they're built, the offensive line and the stable of running backs. And then traditionally, Jim Harbaugh has a quarterback that doesn't make mistakes. He's a guy that they're going to let you shoot yourself in the foot. Um, they're not going to. But you got to think about it like this. It is kind of funny that every time Harbaugh has had a tremendous athlete at quarterback or even an athletic quarterback, they make it to the highest levels of football. If you think Kaepernick with the Niners made the Super Bowl, J.J. McCarthy, now granted, made the made the playoffs last year with um, Cade McNamara, but this year it was a completely different game. Now, granted, completely different teams. Georgia, a, a defensive juggernaut, and TCU not known for their defensive prowess, uh, more of an offensive shootout kind of team. Still, when, once they had an athletic quarterback being be J.J. McCarthy, they were able to really look incredible out there because they could do whatever they wanted. Harbaugh seemed to fall in love with the passing game during the TCU game, which I didn't quite understand. Um, but also losing quorum. And then they had to attack the edges a little bit more than they did. Um, running right into the, the three, three, five that TCU was running. It, it sets you up for failure because you don't quite know where that blitzer is coming from. You, yes, you're going to have your three up from your line coming straight down, but you don't know where that plus one, where that plus two is. Is it coming from the linebacking core? Is it coming from the safeties? Are they blitzing the corner or a nickel? W- what are they doing? That's where Michigan kind of shot themselves in the foot by not going, I'll say horizontally as opposed to vertically. Um, now, normally, them going vertically would would have worked against most teams just because of that the power of the offensive line. Just didn't work because the confusion with the offensive line of going against the three three five. Now, going back to JJ, I think he's going to be an absolute stud. I think he's already proven that he can not carry that team. That's not that's not the terminology I want to use, but I think he's already proven that he can be a guy that can take that Michigan team to the next level, and and I think he did. Um, I was really impressed with the kid for his first full year of starting, what he was able to do because you got to think about it like this, and I think he's going to be on the Heisman radar for next season. He finished with his his. You know, stat line was 64.6 completion percentage. In college football, if you're anywhere mid-60s, I'd say 65 to 73%, you are a damn. Um, you're you're a pretty, pretty good quarterback who is consistent, we'll say. Um, you know, his 22 touchdowns, seven interceptions through the air, and then seven more touchdowns on the ground. Pretty good stat line, I would say. Doesn't turn the ball over a ton. Scores a lot. That's what you want out of your quarterback. Um, and also, here's the most important stat. He won 12 games. Or Michigan won 12 games. 
Unfortunately, they lost the last one. So that's what's going to be the sticking memory in everyone's head is, is that last game. But you can't pin that playoff loss on him. That that wasn't on him. That kid played his ass off. So you can't put that playoff loss on him. Blake Corum may be going to the NFL. Don't think he's fully committed to that yet. Here, here's my thoughts on that before I get back into the running back room. Blake Corum reminds me of a more athletic Mo Ibrahim. And I love Mo Ibrahim. I think he's a tremendous um, uh, running back. When he tore his Achilles last year against Ohio State, when he was tearing Ohio State up, I, I, I mean, my heart dropped for that kid because I think he's a tremendous back. Um, I don't care what team he plays for. Granny plays for the rival in, in Minnesota. You never want to see somebody get hurt especially a kid that's a stud like that. You never want to see that. When he announced he was coming back to college this year, I was a little upset, not because he was coming back to a rival team. The reason I was upset is because Mo Ibrahim, to me, is a pro prospect, and he's going to get drafted. He's a very um, productive running back. He, He did it his entire time at Minnesota, I just didn't want him to not get paid for a year of playing football, taking that beating on the body. I wanted that kid to get paid as much as possible while his earning potential is high. So that's why I wanted him to go to the pros because he already suffered an injury that most people don't come back from, especially running backs. When you tear an Achilles, your explosiveness, for all intents and purposes, may not ever come back. That's such a dramatic injury or traumatic injury that. You may not ever bounce back the same way. And you know what? To his credit, he absolutely did. It was incredible what he was able to do. Um, So with that being said, he hasn't announced if he's going pro yet. For Quorum's sake, I really hope he does. That's a kid that I think will be a a late first, maybe early second round pick. But I think he's going to be a multiple year NFL starter with his stature. They mention it. They they say he's 5'8". Well, I'm 5'8", and I think he looks shorter than I do, although he looks a lot wider than I do. So take that for what it is. I hope Coram goes to the NFL because I want him to get paid even more than he was probably getting paid at Michigan. I want him to get paid. I want him to be an NFL starter. I want him to, if he's, because I believe he tore his ACL and had surgery on the knee and everything. If that's the case, dude, go get paid. But I would understand if he came back. Um because at the end of the day, it, you only get being a being a college player. You only get four chances to win a national title. Red shirt, maybe five. If you're Tristan Gebby, a seven. But nonetheless, um, Edwards does come back, and that offensive line returns a lot of firepower as well. You know, they just got a transfer who was a multiple year starter or multiple game starter, excuse me, from Arizona State. And with Edwards coming back and J.J. McCarthy coming back, I think Ronnie Bell announced he was going pro. But what what you have coming back from that team is built for future success. They are built to, number one, once again, win the Big Ten. They are built to beat the hell out of you. And that's what Harbaugh wants to do. And I think it's a program on the rise. If he sticks around, 
So those are my arguments on why I think he should stick around. But let's, let's go in the other way. Because the NCAA um, really threw a wrench into our plans, my plans especially, the last couple of days with uh, trying to hit him with um, level one sanctions. And I believe the level one sanctions were for buying a recruit a hamburger and not telling the truth about it. That's what I heard. And if that's the case, I really think the NCAA needs to pull their head out of their fucking ass. Um, we can give guys cars, but we can't buy a recruited cheeseburger. All right, cool. So, if you gave me that argument alone, jump to the NFL. I mean, that's a no-brainer. But, you know, I, I did a lot of hard thinking about this, so I kind of want to give some reasons on other reasons why I think you should jump to the NFL. So I'm going to argue against myself and everything that I just said for the last 15 minutes. If he were to jump to the NFL, it would seem like he's making the jump for unfinished business. By losing the Super Bowl a few years back, um, and you know, being a 49ers head coach, losing to the Ravens. To me, it seems like making that jump, you know, it seems like unfinished business. Like that's just been eating at him. He's definitely going to have his choice of franchises to jump to with Denver being one of them. I I mean, Denver's going to make a hard push to get him with, with what they've got in place. You know, injuries really hurt the Denver Broncos this year, especially in that running back room. Javante Williams, the running back from uh, North Carolina, absolute stud. Um, Melvin Gordon couldn't hold on to the ball if, if his life depended on it. But Javante Williams, uh, as a rookie, Looked damn good. And in his last year at North Carolina, put up 20-plus touchdowns. I believe he was leading the entire country in rushing touchdowns his last year in college. So he's a very talented guy. You've got Russell Wilson there, who I think is a bit washed, but I don't think he's as washed as what we saw. I don't think Nate Hackett did him any favors with what they were running schematically. And I don't think Russell Wilson's always had a good run game for the most part. I think the fact that he didn't have a good run game also pretty much took away one of his main strengths, the play action game. If you can't utilize the play action game, that that's a, that's a huge thing for, for quarterbacks. And he wasn't able to utilize it uh, because they didn't have the ability to run the ball. So I think Denver's Denver is a, a team that could definitely steal them away, especially with the defense they've got there and returning guys. They're they're a they're a live wild card in this. Um, and then Carolina would be another one. I you know if I have the choice between Denver and Carolina, I may take Carolina. And from what it sounds like, uh, Dave Gepper has already met with uh, Harbaugh this offseason. The reason I think I may go Carolina over Denver, because number one, you don't have the Chiefs in your division. If you go to the NFC South, that is one of the worst divisions in, in football, with the winner being below 500. Let's not forget, going into, I believe it was last week, against the Tampa Bay Bucks. 
the Carolina was still in charge of their own destiny. If they would have won that game, I believe they would have won that division. For reference, I believe the Tampa Bay Bucks and uh, Carolina Panthers both won six games at that point. They would barely be bowl eligible in college with that record. But here they are getting a playoff spot and a home game. A little ridiculous, but nonetheless, stepping into what Carolina has there, they've got they've got a young but very talented defense. With Derek Brown in the middle, Brian Burns on the edge, you've got JC Horn, who is probably a top 15 cornerback right now coming off an injury uh, that cost him last year. I mean, that kid is an absolute stud coming out. They've got a lot of pieces on the defensive side of the ball to be really excited about. Even in the backfield, you know, Devonta, De- Deonta Foreman, uh, former Texas running back, has done some really good things this year. Um, just was player of the week, I believe, put up 100-plus yards. That's a team that, if they can get that quarterback spot fixed, which Harbaugh has been known to be able to do, um, I think that's a team that could make a very big jump next year if Harbaugh were to go to Carolina. Now, with that being said, they still have to fix the quarterback position. The offensive line's not necessarily where you want it to be, but here's the thing about Jim Harbaugh. Everywhere he's been, he's built that offensive line to be exactly what he wants it to be. A bunch of bullies that can punch you in the mouth, move the ball, and protect the quarterback. That is exactly what is needed in Carolina. That's exactly what's needed in Denver. So at this point to me, it just, what's the better situation for future success? If if his future success is to get back to the Super Bowl, I would have to say getting out of the AFC and not taking the Denver job, maybe taking the Carolina job. Now, let's not forget another wild card in this is Indianapolis, where he did play quarterback. He was drafted by Indianapolis and then played for them. So you have to wonder if it's almost like the alma mater thing, where number one, he returned to his alma mater, has done some very good things at Michigan. Does he do the same thing that he did to Michigan in Indianapolis. Now, Indianapolis to me is a complete dumpster fire. You know, with with Jonathan Taylor's injuries this year, is he an injury-prone running back now? You know, he he's a stud when healthy. Can he stay healthy is kind of the problem at this point. You've got Quentin Nelson at right guard, who is one of the top linemen in, in uh, professional football right now. Other than that, you've got Pittman on the edge, uh, Michael Pittman, uh, former wide receiver from USC who did some really good things this year. You know, you've got a lot of pieces there, but collectively, it just, something about it makes you not want to watch it. Um, What Frank Reich was able to do there, it's just, it was kind of mind-boggling. Uh, I'm an Eagles fan, obviously, and what when he was on the Eagles staff, did some great things with that quarterback position. But in Indianapolis, it just seems like they were never able to figure that out. Um, they went with almost like the rent-a-quarterback approach every year with Matt Ryan being the most recent one. It just never quite fit. So, I, you know, whoever he goes to, if it is Indianapolis, they're going to give him the keys to the franchise. I think your top three 
you know, franchises for him to go to in no particular order would be Denver, Indianapolis, and Carolina. If I were to put them in an order, it would be Carolina, Indianapolis, and then Denver. Um, whatever team he goes to, they will give him the keys to the franchise to get him. He will be one of the highest paid coaches in all of football. He's earned it. He's got some proven track record at this point. Like I said, he's been a he's been able to be successful no matter where he's gone. I have no doubt that he can build up any team like he did with just like he did with the uh, 49ers. Big offensive uh line. You know, quarterback, he's going to have his choice of quarterbacks depending where he goes. You know, in in Carolina or Indianapolis, you're looking at a brand new draft pick. Um in Denver, you've got Russell Wilson, who, you know, was a, a Super Bowl winning quarterback. It, it It's six, six, one, half a dozen, another, I feel like. But if you don't, if you're not happy with the way the college game is going with NIL, transfer portal, boosters, recruiting, the constant grind of not only having, not only on the field, but also off the field. Let's not forget, besides the things I mentioned with NIL, transfer portal boosters, recruiting, you're also dealing with parents and kids between the ages of 14 to 23 because you've got offers being thrown out to high school freshmen, 14 years old now. You're dealing with kids as old as 24, 25 in the case of Hendon Hooker and, and, and Stenson Bennett. So you're dealing with a wide wide range of, of ages, maturities, backgrounds, different things like that. Those are all reasons to want to leave the college game, and I would totally get it. Dealing with adults who have a family, who this is their livelihood, who this is their career, it makes it a no-brainer as opposed to having to worry about if a kid is going to class or not. So that's kind of my arguments for it and, and, and against it. At the end of the day, I think he does stay in college football, and I think the game is better for it. Harbaugh is a quirky guy, but damn it, the guy can coach up the game of football, and he's been successful. The staff he's built underneath him while being at Michigan, and and the way it's branched off to other teams having successful coordinators and and constantly pumping out NFL talent year after year, I I think his team will adjust and, and his staff will adjust to the shortcomings that we had seen in the playoff game. And I think we're going to see a little bit more explosive team next season, especially in the passing game. That's the one thing I think really needs to be fixed. Also, they're bringing in another top 20 recruiting class in a top transfer portal class with, let's not forget, uh, you know, Ernest Hausman's going up there. So I I will be interested to watch him. I think he's going to be a starter this upcoming season or at least a really big uh, role player for them. It just makes too much sense for me. And this is my thought process of staying at Michigan to win a national title and then making the jump from Michigan to the NFL. He's got that that organization on a sound, solid foundation, and it's not it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So my thoughts are he wins a national championship at college so that there's no unfinished business there. Then you make the jump back to the NFL. And you kind of ride your career from there. That's that's kind of my reasoning on why I think he comes back for one more year, or at least a couple more years. So, next next topic I want to get into: Sam Hartman in Notre Dame. 
So Sam Hartman in Notre Dame is it's, it's just a fascinating saga on how quickly this has transpired. While he was still the starting cornerback at Wake Forest, rumors start, start, were starting to come out that he was going to transfer to Notre Dame. And then supposedly there was a commitment before his name was even in the portal. I guess what I'm referring to is tampering at this point. Tampering with someone on another roster. Now, here's how I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not going to blame the head coach or the offensive coordinator, the defense. Co- I'm not going to blame anyone for tampering. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say I don't think there's a coach in college football that would be dumb enough to get caught by initiating contact themselves or even someone on their staff. Here's how you do it. And here's a smart way to do it. You have someone on your roster, a player, reach out and make contact. Social media is how these kids interact with each other. And we see it with the way that we also interact with with players, coaches, different things like that. Social media is the best way to tamper. Now, he eventually did make an official visit and he committed six hours after I'm I, he was already committed, but you know, for the, for the dog and pony show, he made his commitment announcement. I'm, you know, if you're a wake forest quarterback and you want to transfer to Notre Dame and he's got over 12,000 career yards, he's a 60 year player. If you want to make that move, I have no problem with that. I hate Notre Dame just for the record, but I have no problem with a successful quarterback going from Wake Forest to Notre Dame. No problem with that at all. I don't have a problem with any movement in college football. A guy could go from Iowa to Nebraska, Nebraska to Iowa. I don't care. It's the same way me moving out of job. I can go from company A to company B to company B to company A. It doesn't matter. I don't care about that. The problem I have is the fact it seems like it's tampering. If you're not entered into the portal and you are already committed somewhere else, to me, that's a little bit fishy. Now, you can't tell me there was no contact previously. Like I said, have your players reach out. Instagram, uh, Twitter, have your players do all the hard work for you. All you have to do is get him in and then let him commit. But let's not. Let's not act like college football is a clean game. College football at the highest level or even some of the lower levels is a dirty business. And nobody wants to admit it because we want to focus on the good things like tradition, the game being pure, but it's not. It's not a pure game. It's a business. It's a multi-million dollar business. Actually, when you put it all together, it's a multi-billion dollar business. And if there's a way to try to skate the system, you can bet your ass that someone out there is going to try and do it and push the limits as much as possible. And we're seeing it. Now, once again, I'm not a fan of Notre Dame, but a guy like Sam Hartman is exactly what that team needs to get them from where they are to get them to the next level. He's done tremendous things down there at Wake Forest where the talent level is nowhere near what it will be at Notre Dame. His ability to lead Wake Forest to the wins that they've had and it is through his entire tenure, I mean, it's been pretty incredible, and I think with a much more talented cast that he's going to have at Notre Dame, I think he may have them back in the playoff hunt next season. Um, I really, I'm impressed by Sam Hartman. I'm just not, not a hundred percent on, on tampering in college football. I don't like it. 
but I understand it at the same time. It, it's it's just a dirty game, and at the end of the day, I don't want to say we have to adjust to it and act like it's okay because it's not. But you've heard multiple coaches come out about it and say things like, hey, we know what's going on. We know who it is. I also understand the unwritten rules of sports. You're not going to drop a name. You're not going to be that guy. I totally understand it. It's just one of the unfortunate parts of college football at this point. So we're talking about chaos. Let's talk about one of the most chaotic staffs in college football, Texas A&M. You got Bobby Petrino going to Texas A&M. Is there a more easily hateable staff than Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino, and DJ Durkin? All three have baggage in some form or fashion, whether it be falling off a motorcycle with your mistress or staffer that you hired who ended up being his mistress, while also being a giant dick to your players and anyone you interact with in, in, in Bobby Petrino, to Jimbo being Jimbo, which Jimbo is what he is at this point. Um yeah, I don't think I have to go any further into that. And you've got DJ Durkin, who you actually had a player die underneath his watch, which is the reason that he's no longer the head coach. I believe it was at Maryland. Um, also, while having one of the highest payrolls in NIL, 20 plus million, I believe it was paid to players, to go four and eight. Now, Bobby Petrino in college, on the field, you, you notice I got to box these parameters in quite a bit. While being a head coach in college or even an offensive coordinator in college has been very successful in spurts. Now, here's the thing. He seems to wear out his welcome very fast. Usually, it's about three years, and he's gone. The way he rubs people the wrong way is is it's a pattern at this point. Now, his last stop was, uh, you know, he started it in 2020 um, at Missouri State University, where he, he did improve the win-loss record every year, got them to the playoffs, and then made the, made the jump to Texas a and Oh, God. It's just, he was there for three years. Once again, it's his pattern. Three years and gone. Three years and gone. Now he's at Texas a Let's be very clear about something. The reason that Jimbo Fisher was not fired after his 4-8 and eight debacle with one of the highest payrolls in college football is because he had a $95 million buyout. That is literally the only reason. Now, he did have to make a change in offensive coordinator. I know you're really wondering who was his offensive coordinator last year. It was Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher calls the plays. So the reason that team looks the way it does is is Jimbo Fisher. Yep. Now, I don't think this was by choice. I think this was a strongly advised decision to make that move at, at offensive coordinator and giving up those play calling duties. That's why he's hiring Bobby Petrino. Now, on three had a great article about it, and I believe it was, let me see, the uh, it was Jesse Simmonton. Um, who had a great article about this. You know, they were number five in the preseason polls. 
my mistake. They went five and seven. My apologies, not four and eight. So I was wrong there. So they went five and seven. I didn't want to, you know, my bad. Average 22.8 points per game, which was second worst in the SEC. Once again, one of the highest payrolls in college football. And Jimbo said at the end of the season after upsetting LSU, in quotations, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Five and seven says there's something wrong with what you're doing. Now, once again, they got Bobby Petrino. That interview happened about three weeks ago from what I, from what I can tell. They've tried to get Garrett Riley away from TCU, who Garrett Riley is one of the top offensive coordinators in college football. I'm going to actually get into him a little bit more once we get into the TCU um, Georgia breakdown. You know, he is one of the top offensive minds in college football, obviously the brother of uh, Riley from uh, USC. So, that you know, a, a tremendously gifted guy. Well, Texas A&M wasn't able to steal him. And honestly, if I'm Garrett Riley, there's no re- there's no way in hell I'm making the jump from TCU to Texas A&M. I don't care what you're going to pay me. No way. The next move for Garrett Riley will be a head coach spot. So they whiffed on that. They weren't able to get that. You know, they weren't able to steal Riley away from TCU, which good for Riley for not taking that spot. It just, there was nobody that was really interested in the uh, the head coach, the offensive coordinator spot at Texas A&M, and and it's 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 funny. I I forgot to mention this because this is one thing I kind of glossed over. Bobby Petrino had already left the the Missouri State job. He left it for an offense coordinator job at UNLV three weeks ago. That was my mistake. So he left Missouri State to go to UNLV. And while still being the offensive coordinator that hasn't done anything, took the job text setting it. I feel like that just kind of tells you what kind of guy that Petrino is. Now, once again, he's he's a good offensive mind. But as a person, oh, is that something you really want around your players? Jimbo obviously doesn't give a shit, and that's fine, but I expect uh, I expect this marriage to be a, a quick burning one at best, and it couldn't happen to a better couple of guys. So let's break down what you know. We've got the TCU Georgia game. This will be the last time I break down. Then I'll kind of call it a day. TCU Georgia should have been TCU Ohio State, but nonetheless, it's a David versus Goliath kind of game. You've got a team that was 200 to 1 to get to the national championship for the season with a first year head coach on a team that went 5 and 7 last year with a quarterback who had last at, at who had lost a starting job at one point in TCU. And then on the other side, you've got a team that's loaded with talent and at, at this point it's hard to argue that they're not one of the most talented teams in the country. Uh, raw skill wise, you know, led by a 25 year old three kids and, and two houses in Stenson Bennett, who was also a Heisman finalist with a top 10 defense who had lost one game. Yes. One game in the last two seasons. I believe it was to Alabama, if I'm not mistaken, but there's something about this TCU team that just gives me hope. 
And I don't know what it is, but I guess I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that back a little bit. QB Max Duggan gives me a ton of hope this team could pull this upset. Now with TCU, you've got a very veteran head coach and Sonny Dykes who's been all over the place from Louisiana Tech to Cal to SMU. And actually, the funny thing was he was actually an analyst at um, TCU before going to SMU and then coming back to TCU. So he did have a little bit of experience previously at uh, TCU. Now, you got Garrett Riley, who I had mentioned a little bit ago as well. Garrett Riley has been absolutely incredible since taking over under Sonny Dykes at SMU and then following Dykes to TCU. So they've got a ton of experience together running the air raid type of system that they run. They run it's it's a very wide open offense and and it works. Um it's a great pack or Big 12 offense. But you've seen it can work against other conferences aka the Big 10. Now when at SMU, it was a top 15 offense both years they were there. This year at TCU, absolutely incredible what they've done. Um, like I said, they, they had a lot going against them. It, 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 it's, it's a wide-open offense with a ton of quarterback run game, so they utilize their best offensive players very well. The one player I'm, I think is going to be a key to this game, if he can bounce back healthy, will be Kendra Miller. Can he bounce back from the knee injury that knocked him out of the game against Michigan? I think that's a big reason that game was as close as it was in all honesty. Both teams didn't have their starting running backs. Um, I think that was a huge hit for TCU. I think also Corum was a huge hit for Michigan, but they had a lot more time to adjust with Edwards back there. Now, on the outside, I will say this for TCU. They have an absolute mismatch with Quentin Johnson, who is all Big 12. And he was on multiple other lists. You've seen what the kid did this year. Absolute freak. He's a side speed mismatch for any defensive back in the country. Now, he's most likely going to be going against the Georgia Bulldogs number one uh, cornerback, which is Keely Ringo. Kid's a stud. He's a lockdown corner. But, 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 like the game against Ohio State versus Georgia. I said the matchup I was most excited for was going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. versus Keely Ringo. And I also said that Harrison would get the better in that matchup. I feel like if he wasn't knocked out of that game, he would have continued to make some of the big catches he did. And I think Ohio State wins that game. I think they may win that game by a touchdown, maybe 10 points. I think Marvin Harrison is that talented, and I think him being knocked out of that game by by not a cheap shot, I won't say it was a cheap shot at all, um, but him being knocked out of the game was a game changer for Ohio State. You've still seen Stroud put up phenomenal numbers to the point that there's a lot of talk that he actually may be the number one um, NFL prospect at, at quarterback after that game, showing what he was able to do against a team loaded with NFL talent. So good for him. I love Stroud. I think Stroud's a complete package there. But, you know, you, you have to wonder if we're going to see a little bit more of that in this game. I, you know, you've got uh, Johnson, who is a bigger version of Harrison body-wise, um, a freak out there. I think we're going to see a little bit more of what we've seen uh, in the Ohio State-Georgia game with Johnson winning a lot of those matchups. 
So it's going to be another uh, matchup of two pro prospects and a couple of the best at their position. So if they could put a camera on just those two, I would absolutely love to just watch that. But let's get into the lines, okay? So you've got the Georgia defensive line, who is very staunch against the offensive front of TCU. Can they hold up? Can TCU hold up against that incredibly stout defensive line led by Jalen Carter, who's one of the top pro prospects in college right now? Even when Jordan Davis was on that line, they said Carter may be the best pro prospect on that line. He's proved it to be a freak all year, so he, he's a phenomenal prospect. But here's the problem. that They don't get a ton of sacks. They're 111th in the country, which is a good thing for Duggan because he can make plays with his arms and legs. So if you have to bring plus one pressure or plus two pressure to get home, Max Duggan has shown the ability to burn defenses by extending the play, by getting out of the pocket, by not being a statue. He's shown the ability to make plays all game. Now, what what I'm a little worried about is can the TCU 335 defense slow down Brock Bowers from breaking the game open? Brock Bowers is one of the best players on the defensive or on the offensive side of the ball for Georgia. Can that defense of TCU, that 335, that's known for confusing offensive linemen, do what they did against Michigan? who also has one of the top offensive lines in the country. Can that TCU front confuse that defensive line or that, that offensive line for Georgia? Can they confuse that quarterback? Can they confuse on which read they have to make? Okay. Are we sliding this way? Are we sliding this way? Um, you know, is, is, does the running back come here and blitz pickup? Are we doing a double team block here? You know, are, are there things like that, that that three, three, five can do to confuse that offensive line for Georgia? There's a ton of storylines in this game. Now, Georgia is a 12-and-a-half-point favorite over TCU. There's something about this TCU team that just makes me think that they're a team of destiny. And I'm going to call my shot right now. I think TCU will upset Georgia. Long live the hypnotoad. I think this is a team of destiny. I think... I think TCU will pull it off. I think it's going to be a, a shootout. I don't think this will be a one-sided game. I think it'll be very similar to what we've seen with Michigan and TCU. I think TCU will turn this game into a shootout, and I'm excited to see it. Uh, that will be coming up on Monday. So, it, you know, we, it, it'll be a, a hell of a national championship. I'm excited for it. Um I know I, I thought it would be Michigan versus Georgia in the national championship. I was wrong. Sorry, Georgia fan or sorry, Michigan fans, but I'm 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 very excited to see what Max Duggan can do against that defense. Um TCU once again a two hundred to one before the season. They were one that they were the longest long shot to win to get to the college playoffs at this point. So good on Sonny Dykes, good on Max Duggan, once again, who was benched at one point this season and actually had to win his starting job back. Good, good, good work for him, um, uh, a Council Bluffs native. I'm excited for that game. You know, um, there's a lot going on in college football. We're going to do another show tomorrow, more Nebraska-based, but 
that's all I got for everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Um, it was a it was a blast to talk about some of the things we got to. Keep tuning in, keep subscribing, and I look forward to doing more of these for you guys. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Members of the congregation, let's raise our Kool-Aid filled glasses and drink to all the things that were, are, and forever will be Nebraska Cornhuskers. Go Big Red.